I will admit, I don't always make it. I don't always make it. The alarm goes off at 4.15, and some mornings I just say no. I just say no. Good evening, and welcome to a spooky edition of the Owls of Scaracast. Ah, ha, ha. Yeah, I decided on that bit last week before I realized we were recording after Halloween and decided to go with it anyway. I'm your host, Jeffrey Petter Nosferatu, and I'm joined by the usual cast of characters, creatures of the night, Evan Skeletor, Batty Jones, Mames Allen, and Paul Allen. Paul, come on. Owen, ow, owen. It just it doesn't work. There's not a good one. Right. <laughs> That's the best I can come up with. I'll take it. Very good, Jeff. It's very a great good. Start. Great start, Jeff. It is actually the day after Halloween. Does it, do you, I guess this is like the most terrible, ignorant American thing I'm going to say, but I assume the Brits do celebrate Halloween. <laughs> In a sort of damp and slightly underwhelming way, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, everybody goes trick or treating in in the uh, sort of miserable late October weather, and uh, and sort of get shouted at by uh, by elderly people. Or given, uh, I saw on Twitter earlier on, given eighteen year old McVitie's biscuits, um, which which may or may not have been an oversight. I was going to make a joke about them just only handing out shortbread. That that would be a treat. <laughs> So this is our fourth, you, this is our fourth I'm episode, and we're we're already sort of losing the plot off the hop. But now you know who's on the line, and it was a, a bit of a trick and a bit of a treat. We have two games to cover this week, and we will start with Barnsley. And I will confess, as the uh, the intro is mostly true to life, I did roll over and hit the snooze button at like seven twenty five local time. Woke up in time for the second half. Went back. And watch the first half. I don't know why. It was a little bit better than the second half, if I'm honest. But we have a bit of a uh, a bit of a split in the group this week between Patty and Paul on the quality of the performance. So, in honor of our theme tune by Reverend and the Makers, we're going to call this "Glass Half Empty versus Glass Half Full." So, gentlemen, take it away. Paul, you think we deserve to win that game? I did. I really did, and I think. My my point this week, as Paddy and I have been banging heads over this one, was I think we actually played better than we did against Barnsley in the first half, as we did against Leeds. And I think the difference was we just didn't put the ball in the back of the net. And I think that, you know, we're not Real Madrid. So, you know, well, imagine Real Madrid aren't Real Madrid tonight, are they? And get thumped by Tottenham. But I'd settle my for point being is Girona that... right about now. <laughs> right, right. So, But my point is that we're not, we're not supposed to walk every game, you know, it's a tough league. And I think that you're seeing the margins. It's very tight, you know. You can you can dominate. If you don't put the ball in the net, you'll get punished. So my point wasn't that, we're, you know, everything's great, actually. I'm not happy clapping. You know, we've got lots of issues. But my point was, I think we played better against Barnes than we did against Leeds. The difference was against Leeds, we got the goals. And then Leeds, Leeds' heads went down. You know, against Barnsley, it didn't happen. They get a wonder goal and suddenly, you know, the sky falls in. That's my point. On Twitter, you said we should have won five nil. 
I just can't get that my head around that. We, was he, was he in we, charge of the Twitter account for that one? Yeah, we put Paul in charge of Isles of America's then I had an argument with him in New York hours afterwards. <laughs> um, but we did, we could we could have been. We could have been at half time. We had so many chances. Yeah, could have been half, easily. They were all half chances, Paul. They weren't real chances. Those crappy little balls into the box that we just got scuffed headers, scuffed kicks. It was it was scraps, scraps to feed from. And it wasn't like actually Leeds where we could have won seven zero because we had some very clear um, uh, shots on target or uh, decisions against us. I mean, uh, outside of Kieran Lee's wonder effort from 40 yards out, uh, they were just scuffed chances. And I was just sick of seeing balls hopelessly pumped into the box on the right wing by Jack Hunt and the left wing from Reach and, and, and everywhere else. It just seems that's our game plan, just pepper the... There was a, there was a period of about five minutes where we would put in about 20 crosses and every single one of them missed the target. It was just yeah, yeah, but we watch. also had, you know, you're right. The, the the final, the final touch, the final shot was poor. But up till that point, you know, dominating possession, dominating midfield, moving the ball. We had crosses, we had fluffed headers, we had Fletcher taking a shot against his other leg. You know, we we had we had Kieran Lee twatting it from 40 yards. I think we had shots coming in from all angles. It's just it just wasn't good enough. They just didn't go in. Other than not going in, I think I would be very happy with that performance. The trouble is, you're both right, aren't you? I mean, this is, this is the difficulty when you try and make this an argument because no, first no, off, James, Paul, you're... James, I'm right. Paddy's wrong. And 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 this is the problem with life in the world today, isn't it? Everything's binary. You're either in, you're out. It's yes or it's no. The problem is that Paul, you're describing the first half, and Paddy, you're describing the second. So in the first half, you know, Wednesday's tempo and intensity was 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 great, and and we definitely carved out the chances. We can have a different conversation about the way we dealt with those chances. Um, and I've got a particular bone to pick with Tom Lee's and his inability to just head the bloody ball in the back of the net, as opposed to at every possible angle against a goalkeeper. Why um, do we keep but, targeting him from corners? He can't I, head the ball. He's missed about fifteen chances this uh, season. He, he seems to have uh, Shevki Kukchi's old uh, old square head, uh, but without the prolific uh, back of the net kind of ball rippling yeah. situation. But but second half, you know, Paddy, you're you're absolutely correct. And we you know we ran out of steam. I mean, we always have that defensive mistake in us, and we had I think we had a warning a couple of minutes before um, before the winner was uh, sorry the uh, the equaliser was actually struck when the, when their guy went down the left and hit the bar, but. But, you know, after that, we just at no point looked like we were going to go on and get the winner because we'd, we'd run out of ideas. And, and we were definitely very formulaic in our approach, um, particularly in the way that, you know, we were playing quite a, a conservative game. We weren't really, you know, take, taking any risks. And that led to, to them getting four or five players back behind the ball before any crosses were coming in. So, it, you know, I know it's not, it's not exciting in a debate sense, but, but that was kind of the nature of it. It was... Um, it was sort of everything about Wednesday season summed up in one game. I'll try and give you an analogy, actually, because we haven't talked about beer all night. But I've got possibly the most complex and and peak craft beer with me at the moment. It's a uh, I'm going to read it off the can. It's called Pleroma. It's a raspberry creme brulee sour, uh, brewed with uh, with sugar, raspberries, and vanilla. And uh, on one half, it's uh, it's sour and horrible, um, and on the other hand, it's sweet and uh, and salty. So you know, it's basically Wednesday in a glass. It's um, it's silky at times, but with a brittle edge and uh, and a nasty kick. Make me feel sick, James. I'm still hungover from last night. That's why I said that. My my counterpoint to both of you. My counterpoint to both of you is it's fucking Barnsley. (laughs) True, and they weren't very good, and we we should have hammered them. 
The funny uh, thing is, like, they played pretty well at the beginning of the second half, I think. They had chances to get the second goal and put it away. And when, when Barnsley hit sort of the worldie for the equalizer, and we can argue that, you know, Kieran Lee got turned a little bit too easily there, but that's still pretty much an unstoppable shot. After that, just the last 20 minutes, Barnsley looked like the team that was going to win the game if there was going to be a deciding goal there. And that's a problem. Well, that's well, what the, I was getting uh, at, the, Jeff. The, yeah. the swear jar welcomes your contribution, mm. Jeff. I think it was an appropriate use of profanity in this instance. I'm sure your mother would would differ. <laughs> My whole family charged... swears like sailors, so. Wasn't it $6 I got charged for the swear, the swear jar last time? Yeah, I was, see, I've given up trying to, like, edit it, except for, like, comedic effect. Yeah, I think we've already earned our explicit rating. Let's, uh, let's just sure. move past that. Yeah, fair enough. And let's move on to the Millwall game. I will lean on the rest of you since I was stuck in meetings for the entirety of the game. Although, based on the WhatsApp photos I was seeing at one in the morning, I'm not sure any of our New York Owls on the line remember the game either. No, I've still got, I've still got my owl mask on right now. <laughs> I've got no idea what you're talking about. Um, hence the hangover and being out work with Paul till midnight gone one. Uh, and the... The, the good news here, Paddy, was that some of us actually had some trick-or-treating to do, so left a, a, a vaguely respectable time, like 7pm in the evening, as opposed to 3am in the morning or whatever it was, the time that you you turned up on the other side of the uh, the Hudson. Um, you know, the funny thing about the Millwall game yesterday, Jeff, and uh, you know, others weigh in, it, it, in some respects it was very similar to the, to the Barnsley game in that, you know, we, we started with good tempo. Um, this time we got the goal. You know, it was actually a really clinical finish from Reach, and, and I think we should talk about his contribution because I thought he was, he was pretty good in both games. Um, but, you know, again, the defensive fragility was there, and, and this is kind of becoming a running theme now in, t- in terms of talking about mistakes that Glenn Lumens has made uh, two and three games, but the, the tackle on halfway and the way we left our, our back, well, remaining back three exposed for them to run straight through us was, was just criminal. Um, and then, you know, it, it, again, the difference came when we, we got a clinical finish from Rhodes for the, uh, for the second goal, but the, the second half was, was a pretty abject performance at times and a better team than Millwall with, uh, with more clinical finishing themselves would probably have, uh, have turned that game into a much more competitive outcome. Yeah, I, 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 you know, just compounding my point about the Barnsley game, I was happy with that performance, obviously not happy with the result. We were talking last night, you know, we won that game last night, but it just didn't feel very good. It didn't, it didn't certainly didn't instill any confidence in our, our next performance. You know, I, I thought it was poor. We were, we were poor, you know, and I saw nothing in Millwall uh, and, and, you know, really wanted us to have gone on and, and battered them. And we just didn't, you know, I think we were guilty of running out of steam and ideas in that match a hell of a lot more than we did against Barnsley. I can't believe that's Paul Owen speaking those words. Like, it seems like all season things have been doom and gloom, and Paul comes up with these like very enlightening, delightful, pleasant things to say about the club, and then all of a sudden we win, and and Paul's like, "Oh, it's piss poor, it sucked, oh, this is terrible." <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to my raspberry creme brulee sour beer analogy. This this is Wednesday in a glass. It really is. Paul is Wednesday in a glass. Everybody's Wednesday in a glass. We win, we're not happy. We lose, we're we manage to find something positive to say. You know, Morgan Fox puts in a wonderful cross and we still slate him. Liam Palmer had a pretty good game and uh, and people still have a go at him. You know, that that's the Wednesday way, unfortunately. But I, I think the reason why, Paul, you're, you're hesitating is because the underlying performance is still inconsistent. It's inconsistent between halves. It's inconsistent in, in certain players. And, and we don't know which team is going to turn up on Saturday against Villa. And that 
that in this league is a problem. Um, but last night, all that mattered was the win. We had to come away with three points, and the fact that we, you know, we are sat in a competitive position for the playoffs is remarkable if you can if you consider the narrative we've been going through for the last few weeks. Can I just add as well, just a big shout out to Barry Bannon because he's just immense at the moment. I mean, I think if you all saw that little clip that's been flying around on Twitter, uh, it was a Barnsley match, wasn't it, where he kind of like ghosts past two or three passes not makes the referee passes the ball on to to uh, hooper you know there's there's those moments like every 10 minutes from from bannon so a uh, big shout out to him because he's just of his career at the moment for me he's looked, he's looked great outside of the one game coming off playing scott playing for scotland for a week which is understandable it takes a game or two to shake that off you to shake the scott off you yeah uh no i think he's He's going up there to be one of the, the most exciting Wednesday uh, players I've seen in my lifetime. And that's he's getting up there with Waddle at the moment. That's how good I think he is. He's uh, an absolute joy to watch. And when you're, even in the direst of games this season, he's been uh, shining out with these wonderful balls. We used to criticise the Hollywood balls uh, last season, but actually these Hollywood balls are hitting the target nine times out of ten. I think I saw a stat that he's uh, completed the most passes in the championship uh, so far this year uh, in like almost like 900 passes is, 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 uh, is completed this year. He's just uh, an absolute dynamo for the team. He's bringing the energy. He's, he's bringing the creative um, in passing. He's battling. He runs everywhere. He's, he's the perfect fans player because he's not only uh, putting the effort in and the energy and trying to take the game by the scruff of his neck, he's actually showing showboating and, and flicks and tricks. And It was just absolute joy to watch. So, uh, yeah, uh, best player of the season by far at the moment. I just hope he can... Uh, hit a few more goals than he usually does. Speaking of goals, Patty, your thoughts on Jordan Rhodes scoring the game winner? It was so nice. Cause, I mean, I, and I've been, I mean, as a, as a staunch Jordan Rhodes fanatic, I have definitely wavered of late, uh, even to the fact I was, I was questioning him even starting the game uh, yesterday. Uh, but thankfully, Carlos uh, put some faith in him, um, and it worked out. And I'm hoping, well, you saw how, how much more confident he got after he scored that, that, that header, um, when about 10 minutes later, he's attempting a, a chest and an overhead kick, which almost flew into the top right-hand corner. And I think I would have streaked and ran around Fifth Avenue if that had gone in, because that was pure skill. It was, it was brilliant. But you did uh, do that later, later anyway, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah, going to say. I just wasted wait, a few hours for that. All it takes <laughs> is one pull. But you, you know, it's, it's interesting, because your point about confidence, I thought, was is really well made, actually, Paddy, because... You, you know, that one chance just kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off him. The, the header he had in the second half, um, and I think that was from another, uh, it was another nice bit of play actually between Reach and Fox on the left, and they linked up really well. Deep cross from Fox, and, you know, the, the way he met that ball and hit the post, I mean, he did everything everything right there, and I genuinely was unlucky. And that's one way we can level anything about the, the quality of the finish. And that's what we need. You know, we, we, we need that combination of roads with confidence getting clean-cut chances, early balls into the box. And, you know, he will score goals for us if we play to his strengths. Um, and I thought it was just interesting to see that kind of the way that the more the game wore on, the more his confidence grew. We started to try and play that ball into him a little bit earlier. I'd love to see us doing that more. He is a confidence player, as Paddy has been telling me, for roughly nine months now. <laughs> well, you'll see now. He's got his confidence back. He's trying over kicks and everything. I mean, he should, he should have had a hat-trick of headers last night. I mean, there was that header hit the post the header he scored, and one which uh, I think he should have put away too, at least got on target, where he, uh, he kind of cut in front of the defender and uh, just headed over the bar. So, um, what I, like I said, James, we need to get it to his feet too, because 
I'm still frustrated by the amount of times we just lump it into the box and it either goes over someone's head. Um, we did hit the target with the crosses more uh, last night, which I'm happy about. Uh, but like I say, we need to play a little different style to get Jordan Rhodes in through the back of defenders where he's got the ball at his feet and that'll, that way he'll score more goals for us. Would you start him Saturday at Villa? Definitely. Ten times, yes. So that solves the offense per Patty Jones. We should talk a little bit about the defense, which has been a problem with Sam Hutchinson going in for knee surgery. That's a little bit of a blow to the, if not the back line, the cover for the back line. They've tried playing you know, Jacob Butterfield there on Tuesday. Here in Leeds and playing a deeper lying role. Dave Jones really can't get in the squad right now. We've seen the problems with uh, Glenn Leuvens getting up to match speed and match fitness since his return and, you know, not getting sent off in the fourth minute of a match, also kind of important. Were you guys that actually got to watch the match satisfied with Fox and Palmer on the wings? I think Fox covering behind Reach makes Reach a better player. Having seen Fox last night... Giving Reach some more space to kind of move forward, more confidence to stay forward, I think it's a better balance. I think when Reach is kind of, you know, concerned with, with tracking back and he just doesn't cover very well. You know, we've seen we've seen him get kind of turned inside out with against Bolton. You know, I, I, he gets found out there. I think he just he's a better player when he doesn't have that responsibility. I, I actually like Fox in that position. Not so sure about Palmer. I think he can surge forward and then immediately run out of ideas. He, he literally gets a... He gets dizzy, doesn't he? At the, the you know the, in the last last third, he doesn't know what to do. We, tr- we saw him last night trying several times to kind of almost conjure up the idea in his head of what he was going to do with his feet with the ball, and and suddenly find himself tackled and you know really out of steam. But I really like Fox. Not so sure about Palmer. I think the key thing you're saying there, Paul, is is actually play Adam Reach as a left midfielder or a left winger, not as a left back. You know, we, we, we've just moved him yeah. up and down the left flank all season long and, and we, we use it as our contingency mid-game as we saw against Barnsley when Padil uh, had to go off as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. I think I think Reach needs to play left midfield. He's creative, he's got pace, he's, he's, he's crossing actually. It's bloody good and, uh, you know, he gets a lot of flack. But if you look at the number of assists he's had, I think, this season, I think he's either our highest, highest assist generator or certainly our second highest. Um, and for Fox, he's... He's looking really reliable and adaptable and, and frankly, like a pretty decent defender as well. I mean, I saw him against Birmingham. I thought he did well. I thought he was unfortunate to, to maybe not kind of, you know, get a run in the side after that. He did really well at Derby when he had to switch to centre-back after Leibniz did get himself sent off. Um, and I thought last night he was excellent. Um, you know, he's, he was starting to show that sort of understanding with Reach where they were getting on the overlap, which was really, really good to see. I do feel a little bit bad for Daniel Pudiel, who was sort of press-ganged into duty at centre-back at the beginning of the season. I thought played pretty well at left-back before going down with an ankle issue. He's sort of been the forgotten man in this defense. I think he sort of combines the best aspects of Reach and Fox in that position, although he can be a sort of streaky, hot-and-cold player himself. Well, I want to go back to what what Paul said about Reach playing better when he had Fox uh, to cover behind him. I I think that's absolutely right. I think Reach maybe didn't handle the pressure of playing left back too well. Uh, I think that he, and we saw it when when he was going up the left side and uh, played one back to, I think it was Bannon a couple matches ago. And there was a big stink because he, the fans were heckling him for, for playing the ball back instead of going forward and taking on his man. And he, he threw his hands up and, 
and everyone was irritated with him. But I think that 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 kind of mentally played with him, and he he wasn't as confident as he is in in the midfield when he knows that you know he has one job and and he doesn't have to worry about tracking back and uh, making a big defensive play. I think he's definitely a little looser when he when he has someone behind him and and when he's playing that midfield role. And like you said, James, I think he he definitely plays a nice ball in, and uh, I I really really like Reach there uh, in the midfield. Reach for me just doesn't his like. So if you look at him compared to the the rest of the midfielders that we generally start, guys like Kieran Lee, Barry Bannon, even Ross Wallace, I think Dave Jones to a certain extent, like he looks the part. He's big, he's athletic, but he just plays down for me. Like his decision-making's not good enough. He gets turned too easily in defense. He's very hot and cold. I thought he was terrible in the Barnsley game, admitting that from all reports he was really good against Millwall. I just, he never quite has quite clicked for me. I know he's scored two and two, so you can't really poo-poo him too much. And Carlos has basically had him as the first name on the team sheet, either at left back or left midfield since he joined the squad. But I don't know. It just doesn't feel like he's a first name on the team sheet kind of guy. I think you're on the own, your own on that one, Jeff. We're all uh, we're all reach fans here. I know. I turned quickly. I guess I should have watched the Millwall game. Uh, you've, you've backed yourself into the quarter. Why, why don't we talk about Glenn Leuven's? I think you might find yourself a little bit more supported there if uh, if you're going to raise some questions about our erstwhile captain. And um, you know, I think in the spirit of um, you know talking about crit- constructive criticism, we're not having a go at Glenn Leuven's per se, but. You know, the the question has to be asked at this point about whether he is the reliable leader uh, at, at centre back that we've all been crying out for, and frankly, counting on him to be and coming back in because two in three games now he's he's well he's more than cost us a goal. He he cost us three points against Derby, but but last night I thought that the tackle that he made for for the Millwall break was just atrocious decision making, um, and and that that concerns me against more prolific uh, offences um, as we go on through the season. He's 34. He was never particularly pacey even a few years ago. And he's had injury issues on and off. It could just be this is sort of the the decline is getting steeper. I know central defenders can play effectively into their mid and even late 30s, but this is a league that does feature a fair amount of pace up front, even if we don't always see it in the Wednesday side. What do we think about Yost? Because... I'm getting more and more concerned, quite frankly, because yeah, I agree that you know I think Leuven's is kind of on his on his way out slowly. But you know, this kid that we've invested in was supposed to be you know this young genius that's going to make that solid that role. It's going to be his. He's going to own it, and on we go. But I'm getting more and more concerned, and you know, Yoast is almost turning into a verb. He's getting yoasted, you know, completely and utterly yoasted. You know, and he seems to be getting worse. He just doesn't seem to be able to get his timing right. He's not a great defender, and and you know, other than the first game where he was spraying the ball like a machine gun, uh, he he's not even doing that anymore. Is he is he already losing confidence under Carlos, or is he the real deal or not? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure. I think there's always an adjustment period when you come over from any sort of european league into the championship it is a very different brand of football in a lot of ways i'm a little surprised we haven't seen venasio yet myself he's turning into the great mystery of this season isn't he i mean you know somebody has to be this year's Irvi emanuelson it's the sergio um, boost of uh <laughs> yeah, 2017 yeah i mean you know i i think that 
there's probably a corollary in there somewhere in that there's concern in the coaching staff about their ability to to, to compete at this level in this league with this style of player. You know, p- personally speaking, I, I, I think you've got to give Yost time. Um, I think if you look at the, you know, his, his pedigree, his, you know, some of the, the challenges he makes are outstanding and, and his distribution shows a lot of promise. It certainly fits with Wednesday's style and, and Carlos's philosophy in terms of, uh, of playing out swiftly from the back. But he's raw. You know he's he's both young and and inexperienced and and he is getting shown up if he doesn't have that right level of support next to him. You know I, I'm surprised that Valencia hasn't come into the picture, although I think he was on the bench at least against Barnsley. Um, but you know the, the, this is again I think I mentioned this last week. This is showing up the big hole in our recruitment this season that we we knew we needed that experienced leader with championship experience and um, we, we don't have that player and, and frankly we're going to have to get through certainly the period between now and January and it has to be a priority to close it in January from my opinion. All that said and I refuse to look at the table until Christmas but according to this lovely well-organized three-column agenda for the show that James has put together and at least some of us have read we're only three points off the playoffs <laughs> because this league is maddening. We were at the end of last night's game. We were in our five points behind, um, I think, because Villa played today, right? James should have uh, updated the... Uh, yes, his agenda is already out of date. If nobody on. reads these things, there's not much point in updating them. I think Brentford won tonight as well. They uh, they won away at Birmingham. They've, they've had a good run of results as well. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's the championship, right? You know, it, it, it's going to ebb and flow and it's going to stretch. You know, while we remain in touching distance, the challenge to Wednesday is to get a winning run going and that... That would be helpful if we could maybe win two and a bounce and, uh, and get a result at Villa Park on the weekend. Wait, so James, you make a uh, an agenda for the show? Evan, I, I realise <laughs> that you're now an international podcasting star, but um, you know we, we're going to have to ground you. This is only episode four, so we, we might need to bring you back to a few interna- uh, operational basics before you uh, you start signing autographs in Sheffield. You have to uh, uh, show up on the under twenty three version of Owls America Est. <laughs> just get a yeah. get forty five minutes in there and then come back to us. Well, I won't, I won't sign a new contract, so don't even don't even put it in front of me. You you need to be careful here, Evan. I don't know if anyone else has been listening to uh, to some of our uh, our peer podcasters who who seem to be getting a little bit uh, unsettled by our appearance on the podcasting scene. Um, but there, there was speculation on tonight's uh, uh, adjacent podcast, the Wednesday week, that uh, that one of their uh, main uh, main voices may be coming up for transfer in the January window. So, Evan, watch yourself. We, we we might start to think about a swap deal. Yeah, well, my agent and I have been working on deals elsewhere anyway, so. We're four episodes in, and we've got like transfer um, bargaining going on already here. Um, so, I can't, I can't uh, believe we... no one reads the agenda based on how tight this first segment is. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing we read out was that was wrong. <laughs> so, in the first few episodes, we have promoted a cross-cultural pollination between American Wednesday fans and. British Wednesday fans and Wednesday fans really around the world with our How I Became a Wednesdayite segment with various American fans. We will have another one of those coming up shortly. We decided to go in the uh, in the opposite direction this week. So Evan has received a care package from lovely South Yorkshire and is going to do a live review on the show of some of the goodies and vittles that he received. So Evan, we'll, yes, uh, give us some give us some context. What do you have in front of you right now? 
Right. Well, well, first of all, I want to thank everyone that absolutely loved the the care package idea because uh, it was the the most activity any of my tweets have ever gotten. I think, uh, which isn't saying much. I think the most likes I've ever gotten on a tweet was like five before this week. But uh, yeah, forty five people liked my tweet. It made me feel incredibly famous and and um, accepted in the community. So thank you, thank you to all my fans. Um, but yeah, it's so definitely a, there's definitely a theme emerging here about everything. I know. Ago. He's just trying <laughs> to inflate really his transfer going. value. Talking about his, his likes head, on Twitter. This All wasn't right. a care package. This was his rider just to keep him on the show. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so yeah, a couple great things here. I've already tried the the Henderson sauce. Um, I've I've put it on a few different things. I've actually the first time I tried it, I just put it on my finger and licked it. Um, and it, it is fantastic. It's when when I think relish in the United States, I don't think of the the Black Henderson sauce. I think um, a baseball relish would be like a pickle, a dill pickle relish, and uh, it's definitely not even close to what what I was expecting. But it's absolutely delicious, and and I love it. So the first item I'm going to try here are these uh, Henderson's Yorkshire chip, or excuse me, crisps. Uh, of course, we call them chips here. Ooh, and close, close. James, I have to tell you, when I showed when I showed these to my wife, she her first reaction was based on the best before date, and that's because in England they swap the month and the day. So, according to what what we would say in the United States, these are best before one twelve of seventeen. So for us, that's January 12th of 2017. So she thought you sent me expired chips. Um, and she thought, oh, how nice of that that man. Uh, <laughs> but no, this actually reads 1st of December 2017. So yeah, I'm going to open these uh, Yorkshire Chris. Ha- have any of you ever had them before? I haven't, no. I think there are some kind of like limited edition things, right, James? Uh, they're literally from the Henderson's, uh, Henderson's shop. Um, you you might have sampled uh, Worcestershire sauce crisps from uh, from Walkers maybe, but th- these are the real deal, Evan. You've uh, you've got to get yourself uh, get get your chops around these and, and just savor the flavor. Yeah, so I'm doing so right now. And yeah, yeah, they're they're absolutely delicious. They're almost like a a barbecue chip here in the United States. Um, and you'll have to you'll have to enlighten me as to you know whether my examples are. Also found in England. You know, do you have barbecue chips there in England? Crisps. We have barbecue crisps, yeah. We're not exactly covering ourselves in glory yeah. tonight, Evan. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so these are good. These are, uh, I mean, it's just like taking a potato crisp and pouring some, <laughs> some Henderson's. It's just crisps. Sauce on. What, what Evan, we, we need to make this clear. There is nothing on planet Earth that cannot be improved by pouring a bottle of Hendo's on top of it. I mean, that is gospel truth for you. Um, right. You take anything that you eat or drink, uh, as it sounds like you're, you're licking Hendo's off your fingers as well, which is a lovely visual image, by the way. Um, <laughs> but you you will find that Hendo's can can literally enhance every every single flavour. And if you don't believe me, I've got a Henson's Relish cookbook here, um, which um, which tells me that you can also make chocolate and Hendo's mousse. So I'll send you the recipe for that after the show. Ugh, no, I, I don't believe in that. That's not that's not good. That sounds hey, awful. Send that recipe to the, to my wife if you would. Uh, <laughs> don't bother sending it here. Uh, um, I hope she listens to this. Yeah, she, she won't. She won't. 
Yeah, so so now I'm opening this la this Lottie Shaw's Yorkshire Parkin. Um and it looks like it says oatmeal, is that right? Baked in Yorkshire. It's made with oatmeal. Oatmeal, yeah, twenty one percent oatmeal. So to me this is about to take taste like an oatmeal cream pie. Um the hell is which, that? Uh, it's it's the perfect snack for any American child. Uh, if you'd like to, ooh, this one is expired, actually, James. This is. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to kill him off. Twenty twenty eighth of October. So uh, I'm gonna try it anyway. That's, that's only a couple of days, and I think that that might be a sell by date as well. I think you know you've got to remember that Britain's it's still living on post war austerity measures. Like, you know. Wait, so Jeff, have you at least had an oatmeal cream pie? Little Debbie's, yeah, I had plenty of them as a kid. Little Debbie, yeah, right. That's the company that makes them. And, um, yeah, this is delicious as well. So is this? So tell me, tell me this much, fellas. Uh, a Lottie Shaw's Yorkshire Parkin is that a common treat? Is that something like uh, you would have after a soccer practice if your mom or dad are taking you home? It's very seasonal. It's a very uh, uh, November kind of uh, cake, kind of like almost like pumpkin because it's seasonal here. It probably shouldn't expire in October then. No, it's it's, 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 it's probably from last year's batch. <laughs> no, it's, Put some hendos on it, you'll be fine. Right, I might just uh, mix it with the the hendos crisps and um and go from there. So the the third item is a Cadbury dairy milk fruit and nut. Oh uh, God, now I'm now I'm really jealous because uh, that is one of my favorites. I'll tell you what, Patty, I'll only eat a section of it and then I'll send you the rest. Is that okay? We only know no, it. We, we only we, know we, the cream eggs, of course, here in the U.S. for the most part. Uh, Jeff, don't besmirch the good name of a cream egg by talking about the American version. There is nothing, <laughs> nothing about that. This is uh, like how you have to get Guinness in Ireland. Abomination that I want to hear about in the context of British confectionery. So, first thing I've noticed is that it's almost impossible to open. It's like it's been glued shut by by super glue. Uh, here we are. All right. Is that expired as well? I should probably look first. Um, he says it's chewing. No, this is July seventh, two thousand eighteen. So we're we're okay there. It's well preserved. <laughs> no, to to be honest with you, this is good though. This is uh, I'm a big fan of, of Hershey's chocolate, but I would say first impression is that this rivals this rivals Hershey's. Hershey's is not chocolate. Hershey's is yeah, Hershey. like dipped cat sick. <laughs> It's chocolate-flavored something. It's not chocolate. No, Hershey's makes a pure chocolate bar, fellas. You heard it here first, people. There is such thing as chocolate in the Hershey's camp. There you I go. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Although, to be no. fair, we can't, we can't really mop because the Cadbury's Antelads call their things chocolate anymore, are they? Because there's too much milk in it? Or not enough cocoa? Well, it's it's delicious no matter how much milk or cocoa's in it. And then the last thing uh, is, is this tea and... I actually left the uh, the packaging out in the kitchen. It, it was just uh, Yorkshire tea, like from Harrogate Town or something. Ah, uh, Jeff's favorite tea. Is this the third straight mention of Harrogate Town on the podcast? <laughs> I believe I believe it is. I believe it is. And uh, we're trying to good. break that. It's... We're trying to break that market. So Harrogate's a big market for us to break. Yeah, yeah. I I think uh, the tea is pretty standard. I think it's uh, it's pretty similar to any of the the teas that you can get. 
Wash your mouth out and not and, and start with some good Yorkshire tea because what, what you think is English breakfast tea is uh, is about to be blown out the water when you make a cup of that. I'm drinking it now. Just, it tastes the same. Evan, Evan, it's not just Yorkshire tea. It's Yorkshire gold. It's gold. That's right. yeah, it's sure. like the Navy sure. Seals of the Yorkshire tea. Right. Okay. Uh, it's good to let it brew for a bit, another ten minutes. If, it's, if it tastes like normal tea, you think let it brew for another ten minutes, so it's like black. Just tell him it's good tea, so we can move on to the next segment. Yeah, <laughs> J- James, excellent tea overall. Your uh, your foods in Yorkshire are probably better than most of the the snack foods that you can get here in small Bluffton, Ohio. So, James, again, thank you very much for uh, for sending that my way. I appreciate it, and I will send you something from my hometown soon enough. So glad not to have poisoned you, Evan. You're very welcome. Hey, well, well, we'll know for sure next week if I'm back on the pod. And now we'll send a care package of our own the other way. If we talk to the Portland Owls about how they became Wednesdayites. All right, so we have Mike Laroon and Richard Francisconi. Francisconi, sorry, yes. still trying to still trying to figure that one out. But uh, guys, thanks so much for joining us. They're joining us from the West Coast, a little further north than uh, our buddy Neil from last week. They're up in Portland. So, um, guys, I think we're just going to start with the standard question: How did you become a Wednesday supporter, Mike? Why don't you start? Oh, sure. Thank you. So, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. This is a lot of fun. So, I'll admit I'm a fairly recent fan, going back just a handful of years. But I, w- I will say that about 20 years ago, I had a professor at UCLA who was uh, teaching his first class in the States. And he was a big Norwich fan, and he got us to pronounce Norwich correctly. And that sort of exposed me to this, these other tiers of English soccer. And I, I really enjoyed how passionate he and his friends were about their his teams. And so, I would check in on those standings and Honestly, this Sheffield Wednesday name is this memorable name that kind of stuck with me. So if I, I fast forward several years, uh, I'm in Portland and soccer is everywhere. I have a small son and hitting the airwaves with Premier League. Um, Fox is starting Bundesliga and my son is kind of crazy about Chelsea. So uh, I decided it was time to revisit the, uh, the EFL. Um, I remember the name, uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, my wife is absolutely crazy about owls. I know that you, this is a common theme with some other members. Uh, Gary Hooper was coming over from Norwich. So it just uh, that's kind of when I got into it. And then I really liked the style of play. Uh, unfortunately, I came along at the worst possible time of, of hope and optimism of playoff runs. But um, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll settle into that. Excellent. Excellent. So, so Richard, do you have a similar story? Well, it's similar in the sense that there was a big gap, kind of like Mike talked about. My fandom kind of radiates from being a native Portlander. Um, I played soccer as a 11, 12, 13-year-old kid at the same time the Portland Timbers and the North American Soccer League were new. And I would I was such a fan that I would tune into BBC on shortwave radio just to get the English soccer scores. And that kind of like Mike said, the name Sheffield Wednesday just kind of got me. I thought, what a cool name, you know? Um, And it turns out that one of the early Timbers um, North American Soccer League managers was Don Megson. 
and the Megson name still rings bells in Sheffield, obviously. And he, I guess, was coaching Bristol Rovers, and they came over here for an end of the season, what would us, what would do us be a mid-season friendly, and he fell in love with Portland. And I guess, according to Wikipedia, he was one of the first EFL managers who, who quit an EFL job, i.e. B- Bristol, to come right to Portland. And he had a pretty successful run here. And it turns out that in the early 80s, um, his son Neil was was living here and I think coaching and playing for a Portland indoor soccer team. And he worked at the same company I did in the sales department kind of as a second job. So there's a bit of a tie there. And I just, um, my interest in British soccer was always there, but it was really reawakened because I didn't want to let go of soccer once the Timbers won the MLS Cup a couple years ago. So I dove into it and I just, I mean, besides the Premier League, I love the style of play and the competitiveness in the championship. And I just went back to my roots, as it were, and I chose Wednesday as my, really my favorite team from, from there on. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So, um, so, so you mentioned indoor soccer, and I think we won't spend too much time on it, but uh, yeah. maybe one of the, the British guys can shed some light on that. Do, do they play indoor soccer the same as we do uh, over in England? Like like the like five aside soccer, is that what you mean? Uh basically, yeah, on a, on a slightly smaller pitch. Or a much uh, smaller yeah, pitch it's, actually. It's been like a social kind of work colleague thing, I suppose, yeah. We have like outside five side pitch too, like you do in America too, but yeah, I wouldn't say it's as popular. Right. That's interesting because if I don't mind if I can jump in. Here in Portland we have futsal, which is crazy popular with the kids because they can play year round. You know, and it's that's it's five aside and they play on something a little bit bigger than a basketball court, but um the kids play around, and it, it's a it's a really fun sport. You occasionally find uh, find kids soccer being played indoors in the UK, but to my knowledge, Evan, I don't think there's there's much in the way of uh, of any of the professional teams playing inside. Although famously, Wednesday did play one game inside against a uh, who was it? it was somebody in the uh, the early nineties, somebody from the yeah. US. But it's famously the Cantona game, the one game that Eric Cantona played for Sheffield Wednesday was indoors at the Sheffield Arena in like nineteen ninety two. Um, and it was uh, it was kind of a hard surface, and uh, it was just an exhibition match. But I think that's the only time I can recall Wednesday ever playing indoors. Just thinking about indoor soccer in the United States, it seemed to have a heyday in the eighties and nineties. But I don't think it has much of a. Pre- I think there's a small league back east. Anybody shed any light on that? Yeah. So actually, around the my area, there's an indoor soccer league, and it's not huge. I think that um, what I've seen is that. Uh, there were some good teams up in the Detroit area, Indianapolis and, and the like. And um, what I generally see happen with those teams is that lately they've, they've changed. They've gone from indoor to outdoor and played in one of the smaller leagues here, like uh, the NPSL or. or oh yeah. 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 So I think it, it, people are starting to get away from indoor soccer uh, just a little bit uh, up here. So, Rich, I've, I've got a question for you, which last week, if, if you listened, you heard our, our friend Neil down in San Diego talk about how he um, how he kind of processes the results, good or bad, uh, for Wednesday and uh, and goes and spends time on his uh, his idyllic beach down in uh, in Southern California. Talking about indoors and outdoors, obviously, Portland is, is world renowned for its outdoor uh, activities. Um, I'm just kind of curious. How do you uh, how do you how do you kind of get up early in the morning, and then what, what do you do afterwards to try and take advantage of uh, of the landscape around you in Portland, and, and hopefully forget some of the uh, the more average results we've had this season? Yeah, well, lately 
when Wednesday's finished, I've usually had about two cups of coffee. So I do a little chores around the house. Then my favorite form of recreation is just walking slash hiking. So I'll, I'll work off some of my post-game jitters just by walking around. I have trails near my home and stuff, and I'll, I'll, I'll work it off that way. Nice. What about, uh, what about you, Mike? Yeah, actually very similar. We, uh, my son and I are very avid hikers. So we, uh, usually head to the Columbia Gorge in the, in the, uh, on the weekends. So, and, that, and again, that people, I know you guys talk about, uh, you know, the, the early start times out here. Our, our standard start time is 7 a.m. Uh, for your afternoon games. Um, and for us, I mean, we found that the bright side in that is you kind of have your sports day done by, by 9.30 or 10, which is nice. Um, although I admit I do, you know, in this time of season, I end up doing a lot of chores, a lot of raking, but we, uh, we listen to Praise or Grumble or Raking, if that's a nice image you can picture. No. <laughs> that's another, another odd connection. Um, Rob Staten, he, uh, we're, uh, I think most of the folks on uh, Portland Wednesday are also uh, Seattle Seahawks fans, and Rob Staten is a, has a really great Seahawks blog. Uh, that we all check in with. So. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's he's quite a good, uh, avid fan of uh, Seahawks, isn't he? Um, yeah. so, so you guys, did you guys know each other before Portland Wednesday group started? So first of all, I want to talk about the reason we've got both of you guys on is not just because you live in Portland, but you actually run the Portland Wednesday supporters group there. So I know you had your first meetup uh, a few weeks ago, but did you guys meet in that meetup, or did you know each other beforehand? Um, I'll take that one. Is I had I had been following Wednesday, you know, by radio and listening when I could and following along Twitter. So at some point I started working on a Twitter list of Owls fans in the U S and Canada and Rich and I had started communicating then, but we had never met in person. Um, and then it was, uh, Mike Minaverni was getting the Portland Wednesday group started and, uh, someone up in Seattle or Vancouver pointed him to Rich and I, so that's, that's how we met. But we had, I think Rich and I had met a few times, um, just because we had met through Wednesday over Twitter. Yeah, I had the I had the good sense, if I might credit myself, to put the SWFC hashtag on my Twitter profile. <laughs> might have made it a little easier. I don't know. Yeah, solid, uh, solid digital marketing strategy there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's cool. So, you guys have met up at least once. How many times have you met up, or, or do you guys have some um, some things scheduled for the, the future? So we have our, uh, the, so we met, let's see, we've had the one uh, game, I think it was against Forest, and then we also had a, we got group tickets for a, a Timbers game one night, um, which unfortunately was the same day as the uh, the Sheffield. The Derby. Derby, yeah. And that was maybe the longest day of everybody's life, because we all woke up at four something to watch the Derby, and then we had a five o'clock game that night. Which um, sort of eased the pain, because it seemed like it was yeah. like a couple days ago by the time we got to the stadium. Yeah, that was a very long day in every sense of the word. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, this weekend, though, we uh, we do have the the game against Villa, which I think um, Cross are excited for. So yeah. And, yeah, um, I heard that Portland Owls are undefeated. We beat Forest the last meetup we had. So there we go. <laughs> a good luck charm. Yeah. Well, I hope that continues. You're right. Get together more often, please. <laughs> For the sake of I've got to say that you, your guys' audio-visual setup, from what I could see from that Forest game, is literally the envy of pretty much every Wednesday night worldwide, so, let alone in America. So we're, we're all we're all looking at you from New York, thinking that we we probably need to up our game in terms of the way we watch. It looked uh, it looked pretty spectacular in terms of the screen. Yeah. So that's the, that's the Toffee Club uh, here on Southeast so Division. I think it's on uh, here in Portland. Not hard to find. 
the Toffee Club, but it's crazy. They have this room that they had set aside for us, and um, yeah, we were all kind of blown away by this. It was, and, and then they have this like really crisp digital shot of like the sprinklers on at Hillsboro, and we're all just like, oh, it's so nice. Just to try and bring this home to people, it's sort of like a VR immersive experience. So pretty much an entire wall of this room that you guys were in was Hillsborough, right? So it was you were kind of right. looking into this massive kind of life-size window of the uh, of the view looking across the North Stand. It's absolutely amazing. So uh, are, you, are you hoping to have a similar sort of experience for the Villa game on Saturday? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, we, are, an, yes, we do have that room, so yes. Is there a normal bar as well? Because it looks like a, it looks like a cinema you were in previously. Is there like a bar downstairs where, where like there's normal games being shown? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that, that was tucked in the back room, um, which is funny because there was a Man United game going on at that time, and it was then we're kind of near a restroom back there. But it was just nice. People would walk by, and they would look in there and be like, hey, that's, that's Forrest and Wednesday. Nice. So it was... It was they did that double take, that Champions, Championship League double take. So. Yeah, there was somebody that said something like, well, there's a championship gathering or something that, something like that. That was kind of neat. Yeah, it's good to freak people out because they have no idea sometimes. <laughs> it's like, who was Sheffield Wednesday? So I think actually those kind of meetups and like uh, everywhere in the country does help kind of raise awareness as well from uh, maybe uh, other fans that are watching uh, games in the, in, the, in the bars too. So it's awesome that you guys are getting recognized by these other fans as well. So. I hope, he, uh, it, hope it continues, and I hope the Traffic Club uh, uh, continues to be a great venue for you as well. Guys, I, I, I had a, a, a little, it's not really a question, it's just kind of a request to sort of talk a little bit about um, about about the Timbers, because I think for those that, that don't maybe know that, you know, the story of the Timbers and the Sounders and the rivalry, um, you know, it's very exciting to have you guys in Portland because it's kind of a soccer capital, isn't it, of, of, of the USA. You know, what happens with, with the Timbers culturally, you know, for, for the city is, is quite remarkable, really. And it's kind of become the, the blueprint, if you like, for, you know, for a successful MLS franchise. I just wonder if you could sort of talk a little bit about, you know, about that, um, you know, and, and, and how your, your, your kind of passion grew out of that club. Go for it, Rich. The thing that that it's it's hard to express this. It's as a you know a native Portland. I'm not sure how long Mike's been here, but he's a soccer fan, so that's what matters. But there's something about. I mean, even even ESPN, the big sports you know thing in this country, calls the Pacific Northwest soccer mad, which I thought that was an amazing compliment. Anyway, kind of as you alluded to, the Pacific Northwest is a soccer hotbed in the United States. And it's it's us and it's Seattle and really Vancouver, BC, since it's kind of part of the same region. It's a three-way derby, you know, the the, uh, the the most intense derby anywhere in North America, if I do say so ourselves. And the thing that that strikes me about all three followings, and I don't know Vancouver as well as I would Portland and Seattle, but they're very gra- uh, grassroots. It has a very ground-up quality, not imposed from below very organic as you would call it and that kind of feeds the passion because it's really directed by the fans and the supporters groups more so than just oh here's soccer and we're gonna you know we had a tradition of soccer already that just that uh you know grew back once we had teams in the mls because even our usl team when the when the timbers were reincarnated about 2001 were very well supported for that level, and they had the intense supporters group and everything. So it just laid the groundwork. So, so th- what makes it so different is it is its roots 
uh, ground up approach. Yeah, and I, <clears throat> you know, I, I was reading um, only the other day that you know the rivalry between between um, the Timbers and the Sounders has kind of been around long before the leagues, right? Yeah. I was reading that it kind of began in the early days, like you say, from a grassroots you know, level through USL, the first, the old first division through the A-League, NASL, and now into the, to the MLS. You know, it really is a, you know, a story of soccer heritage and ri- local rivalry, right? Yeah. The Portland, the original uh, Timbers and the original Sounders and even the original Whitecaps who all came on board about the same year, it was just in- just as intense back then because, I mean, you could put Portland, Seattle, other sports, basketball, hockey, they could play team tiddlywinks and it would be intense. But it just it translated so well to uh, soccer. And from the minute these guys hit the field, I mean, the original Timbers and Sounders and Whitecaps were almost 99% British. And even at that, they felt the energy from the fans and they were, it was chippy from the word go. And Rich, how, how does the, the intensity of the rivalry manifest itself? Um, if you go back to that game a few weeks ago where you saw the Sheffield derby in the morning and then, then went to see the Timbers and I realised it wasn't a derby in the afternoon, you, you'll have got a sense of just how, um, just how much is at stake when it's the Sheffield derby and, um, and how bitter the rivalry is between the teams. Is, is it a bitter rivalry between the Sounders uh, and the yes. Timbers or is it, is it more of a kind of a, a respectful but kind of cheeky rivalry between the cities? I'd say it has bitterness. I mean, it's almost like it's Birmingham City and Aston Villa. It's uh, it's United and the Owls. It has that bitterness to it. And when whenever even Portland and Vancouver play, it's you know the ones I've seen, it's chippy right from the start. It, the the atmosphere is so electric, that the players feel it right off. Yeah, it seems to me, you know, from a from an east, and I'm not on the east coast, but from an eastern United States standpoint, it seems to me like. Not not only is there a huge rivalry between the two teams, but the people of each city just don't seem to like each other, right? And that um, it, it just seems like anytime you talk to someone from Seattle about Portland or vice versa, they don't have anything good to say about that that city, right? The the opposite city. Uh, in fact, if you watch the show Portlandia, um, you know they they often reference Seattle and how how awful it, it can be. So. Um, it's it's kind of fascinating from from our standpoint over here uh, to see the rivalry between not only the teams but the city. Yeah, everywhere there's a chance for Portland and Seattle's rivalry to manifest itself, it's there. Yeah, excellent. Um, well, guys, before we go, we, we definitely have to uh, we have to ask you each uh, two things, right? And we'll, we'll try to make it a little bit quick. But first, we'll we'll start with Mike. Mike. First, how do you how have you felt about the season so far? And also, we need to know if you have a favorite Wednesday player, current or past. So the season four right now, um, you know, I'm, I'm I think about the last couple of years with Wednesday. They have always had these nice long. Eventually, they come around and they have these nice long unbeaten streaks. Usually February, sometime in spring. And I just I think we. I hope we didn't miss that opportunity. I think about the uh, coming off the Leeds game where everything looked so good, and then we draw a lot. Everyone was – I think we were all drawing a line between the Leeds game and the upcoming Villa game, and it seemed like this is our chance to start picking it up. And then what happened was we, we were dropping points to – what was it? Barnsley, Bolton, Birmingham. So who knows? And, and then and then the Owls beat Millwall yesterday, so 24 hours ago. And then I, I look at the the media, and it says that we've returned to our winning ways. And I'm like, I'm not so sure. I had, I had a good <laughs> that. 
two that two one against Millwall is really a return to winning ways. But yeah. I mean, they have the talent. They have so much talent. Uh, as I put in, you know, my mantra lately is we're only five points off playoffs, six points off playoffs. Um, I think they're going to put. I mean, they've got the talent. They, they can put together a nice unbeaten run at some point, and I think they will. Excellent. So, so favorite Wednesday player? No, oh, Ross Wallace can do no wrong. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Richard? Yeah, if I had a if I had a favor to be a tie between Gary Hooper and the steady Kieran Westwood, just like his his steady presence in there. Of course, he's a little injury prone, but I mean, he's a keeper. What can you do? I guess uh, going into this year, I wanted to get off to a fast start, and it hasn't really happened. So I'm a little down at that. Um, but at this point you got to take any three points that you can. So beating Millwall, I'm not, I'm not going to question it. They had a lot of chances yesterday, and I just hope they don't put themselves in a position where they have to win six in a row just to get into the, the uh, playoff. So it's just, you know, from here on out, there's a, lot, there's a lot of pressure on, but I'm hoping they get it together. Excellent. Well, great insight, fellas, and, and we truly do appreciate having you on, and not only that, we definitely appreciate uh, what you're doing for Wednesday and Owls America's over there in Portland with Portland Owls, and, and we hope that uh, you continue to grow and, and continue to have a good time, and hopefully we can have you on again soon. All right. Thanks. Awesome. Bye. Thank you, guys. Our Portland Owls remain relatively optimistic. As for our Philadelphia one... This is how bad this is. I am more interested currently in American football than how Wednesday do. How much of an indictment is that? He's got to go. He's the common denominator. Only a terrible coach like this could make the greatest set of players we've had in a generation be this bad. My God, what does it take for things to change? That said, E-S-G-L-E-S Eagles! Woo! Now it is time for our dispatches from American soccer, continuing our American theme of the last 20 minutes or so. And we are getting down to the nitty-gritty in both the MLS and USL playoffs. We will start there because as predicted on the show, Louisville City versus Red Bulls 2 is on in the Eastern Conference Final of the USL playoffs. Patty, Evan, your thoughts? Exciting. Yeah, yeah it's coming up this weekend. That's, it's very exciting. Uh, I think that uh, both both teams are pretty good and, and pretty good fan bases that follow them. So it'll be a passionate encounter. And, and uh, I know that New York, uh, New York Red Bulls still have their MLS side in the MLS playoffs. So uh, that fan base definitely has a lot to uh, a lot to follow and a lot going on for it. So, yeah, very exciting in, in USL. Yeah, the Red Bulls 2 uh, squad is obviously made up of uh, younger New York Red Bulls players and people like on the fringe of the Red Bulls side. So it's, that's why it's called Red Bulls 2, and that's why they're in a different league. Um, but yeah, it's, it should be a good game. And uh, Louisville have been uh, scoring goals for fun. 
So it's a little uh, a tough one for Abby too to get to get on there, but we're a good team too. So let's say for a good game. I think I think it's worth mentioning that you know the Baby Bulls, as they're, they're known, right, Paddy? Uh, they, they had an amazing result against the Tampa Bay Rowdies. If anybody knows anything about the, you know the history of of the game in this country, the Rowdies are a big big name. You know, I think they even appeared in an early version of FIFA at, at one point. Um, so these guys had come across from the the NASL into USL, and I think in a kind of cocky way they were expecting to kind of walk it. So you know they they, they put they put Cincy out in the the previous round three 0 looking good. So for the for the Bull, Red Bulls to come come through, um, beat them two one after extra time was a big big result for them. So you know they're looking strong going in uh, in into the game against Louisville. Is it at the Louisville, uh, Evan, or is it at um, New Jersey, New York? No, it's at Louisville. And, and what's even more exciting is that um, the the winner of that, well, I don't know about the winner, but I know if Louisville City win, then they'll actually host the USL final. So it's pretty exciting for Louisville as well. Louisville working on a, a stadium deal. They want to build a new stadium in the city. They currently play on a baseball field. And so it'd be big for the, the city to to have or to be able to host that championship against the Western Conference team if they were to, to win. So, um, yeah, it'll be in Louisville, and, and the following game would be as well if, if Louisville City were to win. Do they play at the Louisville Bats AAA Stadium? Is that where they play? <laughs> they do, yeah. It's called Louisville Slugger Field. and uh, It's actually a pretty cool setup because it's right downtown. and I, I mean, it's, it's not cool to play on a, a baseball field, but um, there's a, a pub attached to the stadium, and... And they have a, a street, or the street that it's on is full of, of different pubs and bars and, and restaurants. And there's a, actually a bourbon distillery right across the street as well. So a uh, pretty cool little atmosphere there in Louisville. It's a good job, actually, because um, I'd like to see it at Louisville because Swope Park Rangers, that we were talking about, they're still in it. And I hope, <laughs> I hope they don't make the final because if they do, I think that they might end up playing there. And no one has any idea where Swope Park is. I don't think Google Maps knows where Swope Park is. Someone's typing. Who's typing? I'm trying to figure out where Swope Park is. He's oh. <laughs> trying to fit. <laughs> Your keyboard is... They play their, it's a very loud keyboard. They play yeah. their home games at Children's Mercy Victory Field at Swope Soccer Village in Kansas City, Missouri. There you go. Children's Mercy. What a terrible name for... <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare. It's a, hosp- it's a hospital. Christ. It's a children's Where children hospital. Where children beg for mercy. Sheffield Wednesday well, fans should be able to appreciate a, a nice children's <laughs> hospital sponsorship, if anything. Beg <laughs> You got it. I'm sorry, but Evan's point there. Probably because they're sick. I'm, a, I'm, I'm choking on my Lottie Shaw Yorkshire Park and laughing so hard. Uh, all right, so moving on to MLS playoffs then and the uh, shit show, which was the Red Bulls game against Toronto. Uh, I was there. I was, I was told that uh, Toronto SC would be a mid-table team in Syria recently. Who told you that? Uh, the Toronto <laughs> SC coach, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he's clearly got um, ideas above his station. They're, they're not a good team either, really, um, on Sunday. But I mean, for people that aren't following the MLS, Toronto have run away with the league this year. They're the best team in the league. But those pretty ordinary and uh, very frustrating uh, on Sunday as they uh, dove and time wasted from the 45th minute, basically. Um, 
and they scraped a 2-1 win against a very dire Red Bulls. It was the worst performance I've seen the Red Bulls put in all season. Uh, it was Wednesday-like in the pedestrianism of the way they moved the ball around. There was no one wanting to run. It looked like basically they had run a marathon uh, uh, two hours before the game kicked off. There was just no one wanting to move anywhere. So it was the worst referee I've ever seen. It was the worst performance I've ever seen. And they were the worst time-wasting cheaters I've ever seen uh, in, the, in the MLS. So screw yeah. Toronto. Yes, and not only that, but um, on Toronto's team are Josie Altador and Michael Bradley, two guys that are uh, big players in the U.S. men's national team. And I know that there was actually some controversy because the the New York Red Bulls fans were uh, booing Altador on his way off quite uh, quite brutally, really. Yeah, yeah. And that until the entire game, it was really brutal. I've never seen uh, fans pick out their own national team players. For that much abuse, they hated yeah. Josie and they hated Bradley, which are, and they're both New Jersey natives too. So it's even more like venom coming from the, your own crowd, so to speak. And they were just, uh, yeah, they were roundly booed because of their U.S. performance of being knocked out of the World Cup. I would just like to and point that, out that current mid-table teams in Syria include uh, Atlanta, Fiorentina, and AC Milan. Also, Toronto FC. Totally same yeah. same breath, really. Yeah. Speaking of New York teams that didn't play well, uh, NYCFC got absolutely obliterated by the Columbus Crew. Good. Yeah, it was a fun one to watch. <laughs> well, and you, and you have to understand that that was actually Crew's first match back in Columbus since the announcement that the owner was trying to move them to to Texas. So. It was quite an atmosphere. The crowd was was absolutely fantastic. Uh, it was kind of funny to to hear some of the chants that were going on, but they were all over the uh, the crew owner. Uh, I can't even repeat. I don't I don't want to put money into the swear jar, so I won't repeat what they what they had to say about the owner during some of their chants. But uh, it was quite an atmosphere, and then the four to one victory was was fantastic as well for crew. You know the interesting thing is Evan, like you know, often American soccer is painted as not being as intense and uh, as charismatic as European soccer, despite the uh, the fact that Toronto apparently are a mid-table Italian side. Um, but you know what you're describing is you know fans having a crack at the chairman and chanting uh, chanting abusive uh, things towards him. Um, fans holding international players accountable. I mean, Paddy, you remember David Beckham being. Uh, Hung up, or models of David Beckham after the 1998 World Cup being hung up on uh, on road bridges and horrible things like that. So it sounds like the passion is there, right? I mean, it's it's maybe underreported. Actually, oh, it's, it's kind of interesting to me because uh, I was a, a Columbus Crew season ticket holder for uh, 2000. Uh, I think it was 13 or 14 uh, when you know I mentioned it earlier during the interview with uh, with the Portland Owls, but. They, they played an MLS final. They, they lost an MLS final, but it was hosted in Columbus. And throughout the season, the passion, uh, it, it, it was kind of lackluster throughout the season. And then all of a sudden, they made it into the playoffs. And uh, they were, I think, the, the number two seed, so the, the second best team in the East. And all of a sudden, people started showing up, and they had to add some seats to the stadium and uh, ha- add extra security and all of a sudden, there there were a ton of fans. So I think it kind of picks up toward the end of the season. But to to be completely honest, I, I don't think that the passion's there throughout the entirety of a of a season. But I'd like to hear what Patty has to say about that from a different team's perspective. 
Yeah, I mean, Red Bulls have uh, definitely lost some fans this year. I mean, they've had empty seats um, uh, pretty much every game. Um, not because they haven't sell the tickets. It's the fans that have the tickets aren't showing up, which is a very worrying trend. But obviously, we do have the South Ward at Red Bull Arena, which is uh, our supporters group section, and they constantly sing every single minute of the game. It's quite a thing to watch. Um, so I, I do enjoy that part of uh, the kind of American fan base. There's not really many negative uh, moans or, or boos, really, unless you're a, a failing U.S. national team player. <laughs> um, the, uh, the Red Bull fans are usually pretty positive and get behind the team from the first minute to the last. Just just returning to the, the crew a second there, um, we, we kind of missed it last week, but um, in the previous round of the playoffs, Columbus crew played Atlanta United, and we should probably... We should probably talk in a you know future episode about Atlanta United because they're one of the new uh, new franchises this season, and uh, I think the headline is that you know they're playing to seventy thousand fans. So that's seven zero thousand fans. You know we can talk a little bit about that maybe maybe soon. But more than Spurs what happened, and Dan Wembley, right? Right. It's a serious amount of people. There's something very very interesting happening down in Atlanta. Um, but 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 the story here I think is you know as you know, as Precourt is kind of destroying this this community, this uh, footy community in Columbus, with his threats of moving to Texas. You know, the team goes out on the field in Atlanta in front of 70,000 people. It was nil-nil after extra time. And they stand in front of this roaring crowd and they beat them 3-1 on penalties. You know, and as Evan says, take the game back home. You know, there really is a kind of a Roy of the Rovers story developing here. You know, I really wish them the you know the the best through the playoffs. I'd love to see them in the final because I think you know there's a there's a big issue here building. You know, as as the game in this country seems to be approaching this sort of junction of, you know, whether they should remain with the MLS and USL or or maybe look at promotion relegation. You know, it's again something we should talk about in the future. But keep your eye on the crew and um, go to hashtag Save the Crew and and follow the story. It's it's, it's a really interesting. So now we turn our attention to next week's match, or this Saturday's match, which means we turn the segment over to our British cultural ambassador, the scourge of Visit Britain, James Allen, to help us preview Aston Villa. James, we're headed to Birmingham. We are, and uh, thanks, Jeff. I, I actually got pulled into the British consulate in New York this week and given a stern talking to about the importance of, uh, of promoting brand Britain uh, in this uh, in this challenging Brexit economy, um, and not uh, not making all Americans think that it's uh, some kind of hellhole of, uh, of burning cars and uh, and locked public toilets. So I'm, I'm going to try and be generous to Birmingham, which is actually a very nice city. I've got plenty of friends there, uh, a lot of friends who went to university there as well. Um, Aston Villa. It sounds like uh, the flavour of an ice cream in some kind of upscale hipster uh, ice cream parlour in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. But uh, but it, it actually is one of the oldest clubs in uh, in England, um, named after a borough in Birmingham, Aston, which is uh, I think to the northeast of the city. Um, most famous really for for a sort of a couple of, in, uh, of interstates motorways that come together in the form of something called Spaghetti Junction, which the Brits get very excited about. Uh, Americans would just simply call it two on ramps. Um, which overlap each other, but it's uh, it's a it's a celebrated cultural icon in uh, in the the somewhat grim city of Birmingham. Uh, Birmingham itself is uh, an old industrial city, like most places north of London. Um, much of that industrial heritage now vacant. Uh, Birmingham used to make cars, so you could call it the Detroit of Britain, uh, but it hasn't produced any rappers of note, as far as I'm aware. Um, but actually. Uh, 
the thing I was going to really try and work on with Birmingham is its scale. So it celebrates itself uh, not for having the most annoying accent in Britain. Uh, the regional accent is uh, is pretty much impenetrable even to Brits, let alone to Americans. Um, but it celebrates itself for being the second largest city uh, in the United Kingdom uh, with about two and a half million people living there. Um, so I was trying to draw an analogue and I, I looked at the, the population statistics for the United States and the, the second largest city is Los Angeles. Um, that celebrated cultural icon and, and home of the uh, the rich and famous. So uh, so definitely not a good analogue for Birmingham. Um, but it does share something quite extraordinary, um, which is the uh, the Walk of Fame. Birmingham, for whatever reason, and, and I still haven't quite worked out what it possibly could be culturally, it decided it was going to have its own Walk of Fame. And so a couple of years ago, launched its own Walk of Stars on Broad Street in the city centre. So I thought I'd just test this out with, uh, with you, Evan and Jeff, to see if you know any of... Uh, Birmingham's famous uh, uh, sons and, and daughters. Um, number one's a pretty big gimme, which is uh, Ozzy Osbourne of Black Sabbath fame. So you guys should know about him, right? Absolutely. But let's go to number two. Um, can you, either of you tell me anything about Jasper Carrot? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love how he's number two. Number two on the Walk of Fame. Uh, uh, celebrated on Wikipedia for his role in Golden Balls, which is a, a British uh, tea time uh, game show in which he, he literally draws golden balls out of a bag, I believe. Um <laughs> Clearly no reaction there. Uh, number three, Noddy Holder. Again, Evan. Evan is literally stupefied into silence. But <laughs> yeah. Noddy Holder, you're going to hear a lot about. Look out for his mutton chops on uh, on Christmas singles all over uh, expatriate America over the next month or so. Um, he uh, he had one big song in about 1970, and it's, it's made its way onto a lot of copies of Now That's What I Call Christmas since then. Uh, number four, uh, Murray Walker. Murray Walker, like uh, M-U-R-R-A-W? Exactly. Or uh, Y, excuse why? me. Yes, why? not no W. <clears throat> he sounds like a, he's got to be some kind of journalist. It sounds like a, just a normal guy that writes. <laughs> normal guy that writes. Normal. No, no, no. no normal. British cultural icon. He's about 95 years old. He was the, the voice of Formula One motor racing for, for many years. That's, that's, um, that's not that. That's close. I feel like that's close. That's almost famous, right? But but number five absolutely blew me away. So what can you guys tell me about the Arches? Oh, the Arches? I've heard of that. This is, uh, they mentioned on my dad wrote a porno. That's how I remember this. But I, I can't place what the context was. I don't know if the Arches has ever featured a porno, but I really hope it has. Um, the Arches is a, uh, a British uh, soap opera uh, based on a small village and the farming community. Mm. Must have been very interesting. On the radio, it wasn't. It wasn't a TV. It was on the radio too. There was no pictures. It was just exactly. Well, most American soap operas started as as radio shows as well. Days of Their Lives sounds slightly more exciting and dramatic than The Archers, though, where the most exciting thing sometimes is a cow going into labour. Um, but mm. apparently, it's it's the fifth greatest thing that Birmingham wants to celebrate so uh, so there you have it from Ozzy Osbourne through to uh, a, a veterinarian with his hand up a, a cow's backside that's uh, that's Birmingham for you. So, um, so let me let me ask you this so the, the the walk of fame has five people but the fifth isn't actually a person it's a group of people number six is actually Norman Pating who plays Phil Archer in the Arches so um, they've, <laughs> Wait, uh, seven eight nine and ten just 
other members of the Archers. No, number seven is the 1982 European <laughs> Cup winning side for Aston Villa, who were our opponents on the weekend. So, uh, so they were scraping the barrel pretty quickly. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But that brings us back to Villa, and of course, you know, the the most favourite son of uh, of Aston Villa these days, and and probably for all Wednesday nights is Steve Bruce. So, on Saturday evening, we uh, we come back up against our old friend Brucey, um, and it, it's it's more than time that we get one over on him. Really, I think. Um, I think we all know the history of what happened at Wembley, and, and frankly, he got the better of us certainly in the second game last season. I think you know the game of the opening part of the season was uh, that was still back in the uh, the pre-Bruce era, and, and you know that was a, a good win in the end for Wednesday. But the game at Villa Park last season, they, they certainly bested us. So, so it's a big challenge for Wednesday going in. They've they've got a bit of form. Um, they're probably gearing up now for what they've always expected, which was a promotion challenge at the upper end of the playoffs, lower end of automatics. Um, so it's going to be a challenging game for Wednesday, and um, yeah, Birmingham's not all that bad actually. We uh, we had quite a good night out there a few weeks ago for the Birmingham away game, um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm sure the Wednesday fans who are heading down there in numbers are going to have a good day out, but it's going to be a tough game. I will say that as sort of a ten year old discovering English soccer for the first time, you know, as I've mentioned before on the show, sort of in that sort of recap format, not really knowing anything about the the teams and where they were. Aston Villa always sounded like to my ten year old American brain is. Very, very posh, and apparently that is not the case based on their uh, walk of fame. No, it's true, it does sound posh, doesn't it? Sounds it? Posh. Yeah. Like that, Austin like Crystal Villa. Palace sounded very posh, Nottingham Forest. Well, when you actually live in these places like Crystal Palace and Aston Villa, you realize why they have to make themselves sound posh because it's just absolutely dire. But maybe we'll uh, get James to review Crystal Palace next season when they get relegated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do we have any other business? Carlos's glasses. Yes, I did want to talk about this because he wore them for the press conference before Millwall, and they're right. like very hipster dad. I didn't know what to do with it. But they're like halfway between like hipster dad and like old Irish grandma, which I guess is almost <laughs> the same thing. Well, I I saw those and I went straight into the Carlos in camp. I mean, I I, I didn't even hesitate. In where? Specsavers. <laughs> Warby Parker, please. Come on. Right. I, I use they any do, optical do. myself. <laughs> I think he's trying to look like Wagner. He's trying to look like the new, the new, new Riche in the soccer, European soccer manager kind of mold. He's got the, the new hair. He's got the new glasses. Well, know, hold on. Like... New, new hair. I think we need to be a little bit more specific about that. Somebody else's hair, right? Huh? Are you trying to get oh, a suit again? I, know, I was going to mention that too. He's definitely got some plugs, I reckon. Yeah, oh, definitely something happening up there. That that uh, hairline now is uh, is not what it was when he joined us. There's more of it now, which is understandable, really. I mean, he's got money, you know. <laughs> also, I I think that these glasses obviously are going to uh, propel us to uh, a winning streak now. Now you can actually see how we're playing football. You might actually make some changes, <laughs> like he did for right. the for, for last night. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Maybe they're roast tinted. Who knows? So we didn't mention Yost, this in the uh, in the Aston Villa preview, but uh, they're wearing the mysterious third kit this weekend. It's not oh, really yeah. mysterious. I mean, that? we theoretically know what it looks like, but well, it's, we've never seen an actual um, real life version of it, have we? We've just seen the no. mock up. 
And we all know, Paddy, that you don't actually trust even the uh, the promotional shots that are shared by the club based on the uh, the fact that you needed to see an actual picture of the actual kit before you believed it was uh, it was as advertised. But well, yeah, to be fair, I'm not going to believe its existence. I see him come out in it on uh, on Saturday, so I'll, I'm not holding my breath. And I would almost I haven't seen any pictures of it still, so I would say it's not there yet. I, I really yeah. hope that they just turn out in exactly that image of the... I, I don't know the, the guy's name who designed it, who won the competition, but that, that is a mint shirt. And, you know, for all the things that the um, the club have got wrong in terms of the kit roll at the season, that's a lot of things. If that shirt goes out, they you know, it looks like, like we think it's going to look. Um, if they stay true to the details and that rapidly gets on sale this month, I think that, that is going to be a shirt that a lot of Wednesday nights are going to want to have a copy of. I mean, literally yeah. every other thing has gone wrong with the kit rollout this year. I'm planning on uh, on purchasing one of those and, and just framing it. I think they're absolutely beautiful, and I think it'll be a good uh, a good thing down in the basement. By which you mean the sports cave, Evan, not literally in the basement. Oh right, right, right. The uh, I think the proper American term for that is the man cave, but uh, my wife spends plenty of time down there, so I can't call it that. Well, just bringing you drinks. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> When did, welcome to the gender equal environment that is Owls Americas. <laughs> I just want to quickly say, I just want to quickly say, um, obviously we were out in New York last night for the for the match, and it was during the first into the early 10, morning, apparently. Yeah, into the other one too. Uh, but it was during the first fifteen minutes where the uh, the news broke about the uh, the terrorist attack in New York. So all our thoughts and hearts go out to the families that were affected by that. We were all uh, safe in the pub uh, watching uh, Wednesday, so uh, it's a horrible situation. Thankfully, we were all safe, um, and uh, obviously, our love and thoughts go out to all the families involved. There and and uh, horrible situation, horrible time to be in New York, but uh, we powered through, and uh, we still had a, had, a, had a good night despite it. I completely echo that, Paddy, and I think also a word of thanks to everybody who did reach out to uh, to check that everybody in the city was okay. Uh, we had a lot of people on Twitter and and through other medium just just making sure that the Wednesday family were uh, were doing well. And that was that was lovely to see, um, and hopefully that can be channeled into, as you said, thinking about the people who have been affected. Yeah, here. Yeah. This has been episode four. Is it four? It's four of the Owls Americas Sheffield Wednesday opinion with an American accent. You can find us at OwlsAmericas.com. You can email the show at OwlsAmericas at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at OwlsAmericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by the aforementioned and still wonderful Revenant and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls AmeriCast, we ask you to rate and review the show. It helps more Wednesdayites across the globe find our, especially tonight, ramblings. James is on Twitter, at Manhattan Owl. James, are you feeling a little bit better about the uh, British Tourism Board this week? I'm, I'm hoping I've said the right things. That means that I'm, I may yet still be in the market for a contract for uh, for promotion of the uh, the beautiful English landscape over the next few years. I'll to find something for you doing the international break. I, I have a little uh, little side project actually. I'm going to be running around Manhattan wearing a sandwich board uh, with uh, New York Owls on one side and uh, and Owls Americas on the other on Sunday. So I'll uh, I'll see if see how that goes and uh, and report back. In, in normal words, he's doing the marathon, guys. So, uh, <laughs> get, 
giving me your support. Evan is on Twitter at Ohio Owl. Evan, are you going to get the full 150th anniversary kit to frame or just the shirt? You did like the full kit wanker frame? Uh, yeah, I'll probably get the full kit and wear it around for a few weeks and then frame it all. Or just frame a picture of myself <laughs> in the kit. I have to say, I still have the uh, Pete McKee print that I won like two years ago that I still mean to get framed like sitting in front of me on my desk while I record this. That's appalling, Jeff. That it is, such a it's good not great. Too. There's like literally a frame shop down the street from me, but I am incredibly lazy. Paul is on Twitter at the ONs Day. Paul, uh, this is two late nights for you. This is uh, this has got to be pretty intense at this point in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm feeling it now, but um, I'm, I don't think I'm feeling it quite as bad as Paddy is. But I do have to say that we're both still very, very unsure where the bottle of HP sauce that we were worshipping <laughs> on, on the rooftop bar, surrounded by people dressed in orange bathrobes, it was very surreal, but we still have no idea where that bottle of HP came from. Did you ever get an explanation for the orange bathrobes? No. We tried to get them. It was like being in some kind of weird religious ceremony because everyone's wearing these orange bathrobes on this rooftop because it was cold. And uh, we were there worshipping HP sauce bottles like uh, we were part of the cult. So a very strange evening, uh, but a very fun one. Patty is on Twitter at Patty A. Jones for talk about musical acts that wear skinny jeans and at New York Owls for general wednesday grousing patty where are our meetups for this saturday against aston villa oh shit yes hang on a minute we, did. we so, are like, you gave me crap on episode two for not doing this so i've like written it into my outro spiel now so you just have to hold up your end of the bargain sorry 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 um i'm trying to give you time to furiously search so we are meeting in new york at football factory at 11 a.m thanks to daylight savings in the uk um come join us uh uh, there it is on ESPN three by the way this week. So if you have got iFollow, you won't be on iFollow. You have to watch on ESPN three. That's a big shout out there. Um, we're also uh, got meetups in New Orleans, but not at um, the regular place at uh, Fimacool. It's now at Mimi's, uh, and Tim Curry uh, is organising that in Jamie's absence. So a big shout out to Tim for uh, helping out in the New Orleans Owls there. Tim is actually our Samido uh, shirt winner, so uh, we're going to get him on the show soon too as well. We've also got the Portland guys, aforementioned, are meeting up at the Toffee Club uh, at, that would be at 8 a.m. Uh, local time in Portland. And in Buenos Aires, we are meeting up as well for Villa. Uh, get in touch uh, through the website uh, and they'll tell you where they're going to be this week. Uh, and that is everything. Thank you. And that is all from us. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro, and we'll see you back here next week. Hey up, Jeff. That's better. How's that? That's better. D- do I say a up right as well? A up. A bit squeaky, to be honest. We'll uh, we'll work on that with you. A up. Just needs to be flatter. A up. You need, you need some more of that hendos in you. <laughs>